If we follow the flow of his greeting, he first says, greet every saint from him personally. Then he says, my brothers who are with me greet you. Then the whole church greets you. And then he emphasizes, especially those of Caesar's household. As he shared the life-changing power of the gospel with the guards, with the slaves, with the workers of Caesar's household, he was able to find new brothers and sisters in the faith. God is so good that as people come to faith, new family members emerge. Paul, instead of seeing the obstacle, he sees the opportunity of his imprisonment. Isn't that an amazing thing to think on? That there are so many here in this city that don't know God. But as we share the gospel, as we step out in love and serve, we can be assured that we have family members in this city. They do not yet know they are part of this family. I often think of Jesus in Matthew 9 as he looks out on the crowd and he sees those that are lost and struggling and he has, he's moved with love and compassion for them. Matthew 9, 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out labors into his harvest. One of the things that should strike us is that the harvest is plentiful, meaning that there are many souls that are God's people, many lost sheep who have not yet heard the good news. They don't know that they belong to the good shepherd. It doesn't always feel this way, does it? And this is where... We have to take God at his word rather than trusting our feelings. There are many people out there to be cared for, many to be brought to God, but few are willing to go and do the work of gospel ministry. This should stir our hearts. This should move us to walk with confidence that God cares about the lost sheep of St. Pete just as he cared about the prison guards and the slaves of Caesar's house enough to send them Paul. Who might we be put here for? We should strive to be faithful laborers and to pray earnestly that God would work in us to bring others to him. As we think about God's transforming work in the lives of his people, Many of these people that Paul is writing to, we've talked about before, they had been imprisoned or persecuted or maybe even had their family members killed because of Paul. Because of their Christian faith prior to Paul being transformed by this great gospel. And now, as Paul has been brought to faith, transformed from being the biggest enemy to the biggest champion for the gospel cause, God has used him to change lives in the house of Caesar. And it should be no small thing that the Caesar in rule during this time is none other than Nero. Who, if you know anything about Nero, he, he's renowned for his hate and persecution of Christians. Yet even in Nero's house, God's elect resided and would come to have this new identity as saints. This is divine grace. 
It should humble our hearts that we've been so blessed to know Jesus is our Savior and Lord. There is no one that God can't reach, no matter if it is the hardest of hearts. Imprisonment can't overcome the power of the gospel. The empire can't stop the power of the gospel. Nothing can stop the power of the gospel. As we've gone through this book, we've seen many challenging and encouraging themes. I want to take a few moments to remind ourselves of them now. If the thoughtfulness in the closing of this letter does not make it evident, one theme that runs throughout this entire book is that of true friendship. The way the church has sought to love Paul by sending him Epaphroditus, who traveled 900 miles on foot or sea to care for Paul. The way Paul loves and yearns to be with the church of Philippi. There's such a strong bond of friendship and a true warmth and love that puts on full display the family of the redeemed. Just listen to these words of the loving friendship contained in these verses. Philippians 1.3 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now goes on in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the love and friendship we have as God's church. Paul has great affection for the Philippians. The way he loves them, he values them, he yearns to see them grow in Christ. We can live in this same love as his people. This love and friendship we see in this letter is only sustained by another major theme. The unity that all Christians have in the Gospel. And the source of this unity comes through our shared commitment to Christ. As Christians, when we live in the kind of close-knit community that we're made for, we're going to experience friction. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to sin against each other. We're going to have disagreements. It's part of being a family. But in this letter, we see that unity found in the family of the redeemed is only kept and maintained by true humility. Paul, again, urges his readers to imitate Christ in his humility and in his servanthood. He says, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are called to give of ourselves, to die to our preferences and our comforts, so that we may show the love of Christ and that the gospel may flourish. I was recently visiting with a pastor from a larger church. I'm talking about a thousand people. And he is challenging his congregation to foster and adopt every child that is waiting in the queue in their city. What an aspiration. Can you imagine if that came to fruition? If God's people gave of themselves and looked to the interests of these children that did not have parents. That the adopted people of God adopted these children. The entire children foster and adoption care of a whole city. This is the community of the redeemed. 
I hope you see the beauty of this family called the church and either rejoice to be a part of it or desire to be a part of it. A community that puts others first. That is called sacrificially to give of self, not just because of a benefit that we receive, because we've been given so much. When I think about one way I know my Christian worldview is absolute reality, one evidence more than any other that gives me assurance, it's the selfless love of God's people, the changed lives that I have encountered, people that have loved me when I was not easy to love, people that have poured into me, invested in me, for nothing that they would gain in and of themselves. So much diversity in the body of Christ, yet we are unified in the good news of Jesus who came to save sinners. And this unity is preserved by living in the same humility that Jesus possessed when He went to the cross on our behalf. When He gave of Himself so that we would have life. In the life of Paul, we see such an example of another major theme. In his life, He has joy despite suffering. Paul was unjustly imprisoned in a Roman jail. Terrible conditions. He would have thought our modern jail system was like a hotel stay. You could see it today. Every word we read in this letter is written by someone who is facing the possibility of death. But yet Paul has this great, enduring joy despite his circumstance. In fact, he commands the Philippian Christians multiple times to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. You've got to think that some of Paul's neighboring jail cell mates, at least one of them had to be annoyed with Paul. The squidward of the bunch, just wondering, how is that guy so joyful in there? What does he have? No matter the sorrow the day brings, there is an unconquerable joy that comes from knowing Christ. We can always rejoice. Our name is in the book. Our King is on the throne. He holds us secure. He redeems the worst things that happened to us for our good. As Christians who have repented from their sins, who have forsaken trust in themselves before God, and instead, trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We have infinite reasons to rejoice. On our saddest day, our sins are forgiven. And we walk in the righteousness of Christ as His saints. At our worst, we are eternally secure in the arms of our loving Father. When we have no one else, we are His. And in His love, He has also given us each other. Brothers and sisters that display the love of Christ, giving us further reason to rejoice. And the last theme we will give our time to today is that the aim of a Christian's life should be the advancement of the Gospel. Speaking of his imprisonment, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, 
are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is in jail under threat of death and he rejoices because the measure of his life is different. It's supremely the advancement of the gospel. He doesn't complain. He doesn't focus on his lack of comfort. In this, he carries on rejoicing as he sees God's work to use even his, this imprisonment for his glory. What a perspective shift off of self and on to something greater. The big picture is ever present in Paul's mind. Paul is letting them know, hey, my circumstances may look bleak, but they have served this greater purpose, the advancement of the gospel. Paul goes on later, he says he doesn't care if he's poured out as a drink offering over the lives of the Philippian believers. As long as the gospel advances, as long as they are maturing in their faith, this is the measure for which Paul applies success to his life. The rest is overshadowed by this one pursuit. Beloved, this has challenged me more than anything else. What it looks like to truly a life that desires more than anything else for the gospel to advance. And, and for no other motive than the glory of God and the love of people. Not so that our church can grow. Not so that we can gain new people or, or gain money or these monetary things. But so that the name of Christ would be great. But in my heart, in my family's heart, in this church, in our neighborhoods, if we are being faithful to proclaim His name. That is the true measure of a Godward-oriented life. Let's make the advancement of the gospel our aim. And if I haven't made it clear, what I am praising is not Paul's great willpower or his unique ability to look on the bright side. Paul is only able to think and to live in this way because he had been changed. A profound change on the level of his heart. And Christ was now at the center of his life. And we see in his example what it means to live as a Christian. Christian, do you know what you possess in Christ this morning? If you have turned from your sins and you're trusting in this atoning work of Christ, let me share with you what this letter says that you possess. Just in these four chapters alone, we see that we can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We see that in Christ, we can possess the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That in Christ we can do nothing from selfish ambition for conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. That each of us can look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Christ, we can do all things without grumbling or complaining. We can be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We can shine as lights in this world. That we can have everything this world offers and we count it as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. That we can suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ. 
That we can be found in Him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That we can know Him in the power of His resurrection. That we can share in His sufferings. That no matter our past mistakes, no matter our failures or our shortcomings, we can press on to make it our own. Because Christ Jesus has made us His own. We can forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We can be assured that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. In Him, we have the power to rejoice in the Lord always. To have our reasonableness to be known to everyone, even in an unreasonable world. In Him, we can live out the command to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the assurance we have is that as we do this, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And not only does the peace of God guard our hearts and minds in Christ, we have the promise that the God of peace will be with us. As we share our faith, as we battle trials, as we take gospel risks, as we love courageously, as we encounter persecution, the God of peace will be with us. The designer of life who upholds every molecule in existence by His power promises to be with His people. He is with us. In Him, we can be content in any situation. Whether we are brought low or abound. In any and every circumstance, we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. And all these things they may seem like they are pie in the sky or that I'm a snake oil salesman and selling you something that's too good to be true. But there is no exaggeration. If anything, I'm selling short the riches of the glories to be found in Jesus. Not only did He create you and give you life, when we were all in our sin, when, we, when we've rejected His rule, when we've sinned against an eternal God in our fallen nature, only deserving of His judgment, of His punishment in hell, He provided a way back. A way back to Him by sending His Son who stepped down from heaven, from the highest possible peak to the lowest of lows, Hear these words that proclaim the glory of the King of the universe, the heart of this letter, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. The servant emptied himself so that we would have life. For all those that would turn from their sins and trust in his perfections, all these things and more are ours to walk in. We are transformed in him. We are new creations in him. Children of God, take hold of the life that Paul yearns for these believers to live. The life that Christ has secured for you. We can no longer live for ourselves. He now reigns in our hearts. And to my non-Christian friends here today, I just want to say there's nothing like the love and beauty that is found in Jesus. He can transform your heart. He can give you peace. And this gift is not something that you will ever attain in your own strength. It can only be received. We are not good enough, but He is. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. And you will have life like never before. Paul ends this letter just as he began it. He says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. With grace. True progress in life is a gift of God through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we have is by His grace. The immeasurable grace, the unmerited favor that we have in Him. We are children of the King. And covenant hope, as we set out as imperfect people to live for Him, I want to close with one more promise from His Word that has been a salve to my soul these past few months as we set out as a new church. It's found in Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What He has begun in us, we can be assured that He will finish it. This is where our hope lies. And we can live in joyful anticipation of what He will do. Let's together strive to live a life worthy of the gospel that we have been given. Praise His glorious name. Let's pray. God, we thank You for all the beauty and riches that we have in You. Open our eyes to see the height and width and depth and breadth of all that we have in you. God, make our lives be measured by the success of the gospel, the gospel going forth, Lord. May it start first with us, Lord, as we treasure you as king in our hearts, Lord. And from that treasuring, Lord, help us to build a community to make disciples that are consumed with your glory, God. And from that community, may we display your truth, love, and beauty to St. Pete and the nations. God, thank you for the miraculous gift of yourself. Thank you that we can never be the same. Thank you for the gift of this new family. In your name we pray, amen.